on May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Back to the Keep It Mysteries. Mm. There are two cases this week. Oh, I, I assume we're referring to one that just it is concluded like, 20 it is, minutes ago? It is like Dateline. Um, yes, um, Jesse Smollett charges <laughs> dropped. Every part of this has felt like being slapped with a fish. <laughs> it hurts. And it smells. Snap out of it. I can't. I, I'm not somebody who says I can't, but in this case, I truly can't. Uh, this news literally came as we were getting ready. Yeah. Like all the best news, Lori Laughlin style. Yeah. Hopped off my soul cycle bite. Just pointing that out there. Oh, we okay. don't care. Yeah. Yeah. Keep right. going. Well, I can... That's your novel characteristic, having gone to a soul uh, cycle A Los Angelino who went to soul cycle. Yeah. I, I, care, the first. I, I care about the endorsements. That's all I'm trying to get. So Jesse, 16 <laughs> charges were dropped by the Chicago police. None of this makes a lick of sense yes. from either side. Uh, the the official, attorney yeah, we said, said the official statement is shrug emoji. <laughs> they say, after reviewing all the facts and circumstances of the case, including Mr. Smollett's volunteer service in the community. What? (laughs) (laughs) And agreement to forfeit his bond to the city of Chicago. Okay, so they're going to keep his bail money. I want to, listen, I'm, (laughs) I, I don't, I'm not going to speculate because literally none of us know. I don't believe a human living on the planet actually knows what's happening. I'm just going to say, I find it a little suspect that he is forfeiting his bond and I'm going to, you can, you can, Look into that as you'd like. Well, there's no way this is the last chapter. <laughs> and I end. hope so. My God, I hope yeah. this I know. Is done. Everyone keeps tweeting, I hope he sues. You think that nigga wants this to keep going he, on? Right. This also, is done. I also, I mean, I think the thing is, too, if he doesn't sue, again, that is probably telling us something. I think we should all just be glad this is over. I think both sides need to go back to their respective corners and shut up about it. Chicago PD needs to go back to framing other black people for crimes. And letting cops off for murdering black people. That's that's what they do best. And Jesse can go back to, you know, singing his little ditties on Empire. Um, I think the 25th reprise of You're So Beautiful <laughs> is being written for the premiere. <laughs> do you think they'll just like let him back on to Empire full time? Well, Fox is like they have no comment. but also. If the charges are dropped and yeah. his slate is clean, if they right. don't let him back, I think the rest, them? the rest of the season, right, is it's done. They're the shooting a done. shot. Um, but next season, there's no reason why they wouldn't. Yeah. Okay. Because, like, the people who were, like, the Donald Trump juniors of the world, you know, those um, furious masturbators, um, they're not watching Empire. Right. So yes. mm-hmm. if you put him back on the show, it's not like people are going to like stop watching it. It, w- it was also he was charged with a felony. And if he is not anymore, like I think that was the breach of your contract. Like I think if you are committing crimes, they have a right to fire you. If you did not, then they can't. 
Right. I mean, when the charges are dropped against Lori Lautlin, I'm sure she will be back in Toronto. Hallmark. <laughs> For the Aunt Becky mysteries. Yes. Yeah. Shooting Hallmark's. Um, the, the baked pie went missing. Uh, yeah. Gotta find it. <laughs> the Christmas where we went to Christmas or whatever those movies are called. Uh, but as of now, Fox has no comment on the charges. being. I, yeah, I mean, and like, I know Jesse's going to give an interview, but like, again, I just, I everyone want, I want a block party. I want a block party. I want to go. I want to cook out. <laughs> Why do I need therapy after somebody else's like felony charges? Speaking of felony charges, as God lets one celebrity out, mm-hmm. another gets locked up. Michael Avenatti. Oh, sure. <laughs> is he a celebrity? He made himself one. Yeah. Who is also his co-conspirator was Jesse's <laughs> lawyer, <laughs> which was... <sighs> I mean, it's like, listen, you know, I live in L.A. I work in Hollywood. Like, I'm familiar with the concept of everybody knows everybody. But like, goddamn, it's like every crime that's been committed in the last two years. It's like all the same people connected. And it's like on one end, it's like a Stormy Daniels. And the other, it's the president. And you're just like how this web of fucking people that all know each other and commit crimes together. But if you told me that Michael Avenatti, if you're like, oh, Michael Avenatti, he's cousins with the Jesse Smollett case. I'd be like, oh, I know that. I'd be like, I believe you. So good for them. I want to see the family reunion picks. It's like Cot Rock, but there's no singing. Is Cot Rock a family drama? It was a show about cops. No, I know, but I know, but it's a musical show, right? Oh, yeah. I see. You're, it's a musical. Because crimes. Right. Snap into it. Which is the theme of the episode, yes. All right. What are you doing today? Should we start doing like a, <laughs> like a bingo game for the rest of 2019? Like who's going to jail? Because it just feels like... <laughs> Many I mean, are detectable. Is, guys, it is March. It is March. Like, how have we already? Who do we think is going to arrest it? Next. Someone make a guess. Well, does it have to be somebody we actually think is going to be arrested? Or like, oh, like Wildcard, you know, it'd be fun. Did you think Felicity Hoffman was going to get arrested? No, I don't have (laughs) dreams that big. Um, God, who do I think should, who do I think will go? The answer Mm -hmm. is, I think Jonathan Taylor Thomas is going to reemerge and fuck it up. Okay. I think it's going to be, he's going to steal an ATV. And you know, I think he's going to take it uh, to, mm, I was going to say Frankie Muniz's house, but that's too cute. He's just going to, he's just going to go for a ride and we're going to follow him on like a live chase on KTLA. Okay. Kara. I don't, so I don't have an exact name, but I think it's going to be like a much older celebrity. Like I think some like random 80 year old celebrity is going to come out of the woodwork and we're going to be like, oh my God, they, they killed someone. I think. Dean Kane <laughs> murdered someone. He is among the more suspicious, not far right conservatives, but like a serious conservative, right? Right. And it would have a bit of a tie to Desperate Housewives since Terry, Terry Hatcher, Hatcher was in it. Oh, sure. And I feel like there's always a weird connection to something. So, or you know what I'm, you know what I would also guess? I think maybe a Trump. Uh, sibling child is going to get like a DUI. I hope it's Don Jr. <laughs> he is, first of all, I'm sure he'll have nothing to say about this Jesse Smollett thing, even yeah. though they were they were magalicious about it um, before, because now he is tweeting about Avenatti more than the news is. I mean, he, what, he's obsessed. What does he have to do? I mean, and I get it, you know, but but Avenatti's only famous because your your dad like allegedly fucked her. Fuck, do we have to say me. allegedly? I mean, yes. Well, we have to say allegedly. <laughs> I don't know if we have to say allegedly. I don't want to get sued by Donald Trump. Yeah, he's excited now. Okay. I don't know. 
I really would love to know what Don Jr. does all day because it does seem like just Twitter. I mean, it's, I, I, I don't mean to deglamorize him for anybody, but I think he just tweets. And uh, Twitter and browsers. That's it. And right. what's her name? I never forget that lady's name. Um. Oh, Kimberly Galfoyle. Yeah. Yeah. Kimberly. Watches, watches all her the get vowels. injections, I yeah. assume, I all day. Know. They're yeah. probably having like dinners at Janine Pirro's house because she is unemployed at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it really is. When Fox News is like too racist for us, it really is like, I mean, honestly, props to her. Yeah. She's like when someone at Fox can find the ceiling for Fox, it really is rather remarkable because it's never quite what you think it's going to be. You're like, surely this will be the one that they draw the line at. <laughs> nope. <laughs> but she found it. Uh, where do you think she is right now? Janine Pirro. What, do you think she's like wandering the forest for Hillary again to get her revenge? She's like she's hit the mountains at this point. She is. She has like a Sherpa and stuff. Mm, well, she's just started a podcast. Okay, don't don't listen. I was just thinking I wish she brought more words into the world. Well, I mean, I always thought that Megyn Kelly was going to do one after she got fired. And I just don't know what these Fox people do. I mean, it's only been a second, though. Give them time. True. And Megyn Kelly has enough. Guys, what if they started the like the alt version of Crooked Media (laughs) with like (laughs) Megyn Kelly and this bitch and they just start a podcast network. Just call it legit media. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Unfake. (laughs) The truth. Dot com. I want to cut from that, ladies. I want some of your dirty blood money mm. if uh, if you if you take that idea. Mm. With yeah. the Elizabeth Holmes tech corner. Yes. yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, this is going to be a good episode, I think. It's going to be a good episode. The House. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> that mer- that. Uh, don't even ex- don't even I'm give not, it any I'm credence. Not, I'm not even explaining even. it. I'm not even explaining it. Uh, I just find it so funny. This episode, we have Billy Eichner here. We are going to talk to him about Beyonce um, and some other things, but oh, yeah, mostly he, Beyonce. He's in this movie about there's a there's a king of lions. I don't really understand. Yeah, it's Beyonce. Right. She's the king. Beyonce lions. She's the yes, king of the yes. lions. Uh, and we will also be joined by WGA board member and writer Angelina Burnett to talk about the ongoing Writers Guild and agents drama Woo! that is unfolding in Hollywood. And we're going to try and break it down for you all so it makes some sense. Before we vote this week. Yeah. It's all happening. All right. Don't forget that we have a live show in Los Angeles at the Regent Theater. It is May 14th. Get your tickets. They're on sale now. On sale now. We'll be there. Crooked.com slash events. With all my choreography. What choreography? My clogs, my, you know, the cultural dance I bring to keep it. I will literalize it now. Oh, you pulled out your Darren's Dance Groove VHS. Oh, that's me. ready? Darren's Dance Groove, I feel like, is that all Pussycat Dolls music? Like, what is he grooving to? Uh, I, I, he does the bye-bye-bye dance in it. Oh, of course, of course, yeah. yes. Learn how to wave in a grabby way. That's yeah. what they do in the Bye 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 video. All right, you'll get that and more <laughs> <laughs> if you come see us live. Right after the break, Kara and I will dive into a conversation about Apple's latest event. Apple 
really wants us to be paying attention to its events <laughs> because instead of giving us new iPhones, which I would probably immediately buy, uh, they paraded out a bunch of celebrities uh, <laughs> to talk about their effort to create original content and digital services as part of their new streaming video service. Uh, the event was basically the Emmys with <laughs> Steven Spielberg, Oprah Winfrey, Weiss Witherspoon, Jennifer Aniston, Kumal Nanjiani. Like, it was... Stacked. Stacked. <laughs> um, so the company is entering the rink of streaming with competitors like Netflix, Hulu, and HBO, and it's reportedly spending around $1 billion on programming, which includes titles from the aforementioned people, and also J.J. Abrams and Ron Howard. That event. Every time there's an Apple event, it just always seems so extra. I thought we were going to get some new AirPods. <laughs> I thought, hey, maybe I'll finally buy an iPad. Maybe there'll be some new shit. And instead, we got like two hours of vague talk about television shows with no release dates, if you notice. <laughs> uh, no trailers, which makes me feel like they've shot nothing. Um, and then, I mean, listen, I love Oprah, obviously. I didn't know what she was talking about for the first half of that presentation. I was like, what are you announcing? Um, <laughs> your face is up there. You're talking about optimism and heal. I was like, I don't, I don't know what this is. I feel like Oprah didn't know what it was. And so she just sort of went to autopilot on everything that she usually says. Right. It's usually just like, are you happy to be here? <laughs> Optimism. I think that we can move mountains. Apple! <laughs> um, and, but it's not like she could hand out like, you're getting a streaming service because we don't know when it's coming. We don't know when it's coming. There was, we don't know what it looks like. Like it, it was just such a bizarre like the, the, specifically those tech events are like, wow, look at all of the cool new shit we have. Mm -hmm. And so to have this whole big event that was so vague just also feels like very, it feels like the opposite of Apple. It feels off brand for them. It's very weird, too, because um, for the two of us who live in L.A. and are writers, uh, I feel like we know people who've been working on Apple things for like two years and none of this stuff has come out. Yeah, I mean, I, I know that, the, you know, and like they, it's a crazy lineup, um, a lot of white people, but. Uh, yeah, Spielberg's reboot of Amazing Stories and um, The Morning Show, which is co-starring Reese, Jennifer, and Steve Carell. Which, I, I mean, mean, like, listen, that's a great lineup. But... It's white excellence yeah. is what it is. <laughs> you, you know, if we got to get only white people, it's <laughs> at least good white people. <laughs> right. But yeah, so I, it's like, you know that. The things have sounded good, too. Like, when I hear these ideas and shows that people are working on, I'm like, wow, I really want to see that. But, like, when am I going to see it, girl? Because it has been... Like, they have announced this show, this this the morning show, I feel like two years ago. Mm -hmm. Like, I remember when they first announced it, and then it was just like, that sounds great. When can I watch it? And they're like, oh, we're never going to tell you when you can watch <laughs> it. We've just given you a really cool idea that we're never going to follow up on. Can we briefly, before we get into the rest of this shit, talk about how Steven Spielberg has been <laughs> doing all of this running around to keep Netflix from entering the Oscars. And then he stepped out here 
right on Apple. And I feel like we knew that he was doing amazing stories for Apple, but nobody really realized how involved he was until this event. You know, and I saw a lot of people that were like, trying to make it sound like these issues were so different, like mm-hmm. the idea of, tr- you know, of films being in theaters and, and you know, whatever, changing the idea of what a movie is versus like he's making a TV show for a streaming service. Like, obviously, that's what they do. But like, it still feels a little suspect. Right. Like, and you were promoting a streaming service, which is obviously going to be making movies. Right. Too. Exactly. Exactly. I know people who have movies that Apple is going to release. Are you going to make a stink about the Apple movies if they win an Oscar? You know he's not. So that's the that's why it feels just like mm-hmm. again, don't say anything at all. But like exactly if if an Oscar if a if a Apple film is nominated for an Oscar, do you think Steven Spielberg is going to stand up and say, um, it wasn't in a theater? Of course, because it'll probably be Green Book too. Uh, <laughs> I, I, Did I, they I, switch places in Green Book too? Now, <laughs> now Mahershala has to drive the white guy now that they figured it all out. <laughs> there's a body swap. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, there's also other things to worry about. Like, are is this going to be in direct opposition to Netflix in like, are we going to find out numbers for Apple? Because right. Apple is usually very transparent about how many people listen to the music and yeah. other things on their platform. Yeah. I mean, I don't, again, they've told us truly nothing. They told us, wow, we can get the most famous people on the planet in a room, which, yeah, I mean, yes. It's Apple. Yeah, it's Apple. They can get me in the room. Right. They, they <laughs> explained truly almost nothing else. And again, where are the AirPods? Did they announce the new AirPods? No, they did announce that we, we will have Apple News Plus subscription services, which will now feature more than 300 magazines. Apple what? Apple News Plus. That's still around? Yes. Well, this is now going to have more than 300 magazines for $9.99 per month. And it's like they flip through the new Essence that Issa Rae yeah. is on the cover of. It's basically, you'll actually be able to look at the magazine on your device and it will sort of move. I don't, to okay. like simulate reading a magazine. I mean, listen, I'm about to frame Issa's cover, so can I do that with a <laughs> with an iPad? Maybe you just you just freeze just it and put it on the wall. <laughs> uh, they're also introducing, in partnership with Goldman Sachs, the okay. Apple Card, uh, <laughs> a payment system that will not charge users any fees. It'll offer two percent cash back on purchases and 3% cash back on Apple purchases, and it'll appear, it will appear in the Wallet app this summer. This is, okay, so when I saw the ad for it, there was an actual credit card. Yeah. So first of all, I don't understand if that's a prop. I don't understand if you actually get the card. What I will say is if that card is real, why would you want a white credit card? Like, does not feel like it's going to get filthy? Yeah. Like, you're just going to have this dirty-ass credit card by the end of it? Or do, do you leave it in your wallet? And if you don't ever take it out, then why do you need an actual card? That's what I'm saying. I don't understand what is happening. I feel like they have, like, completely flipped their brand on its head. I feel like Steve Jobs is wherever he is. Like... What the fuck is Tim doing out here? None of this makes any sense. I don't know what's happening. Haunting the auditorium. He was like, this is not what I told you people to do. He was like, I didn't approve any of this shit. Singing for Christine to come and find him. Um, Yeah, it, it seems weird that the whole company that has been trying to get me to put all my credit cards on my phone right. so I never have to pull them out. Is introducing a credit card right. and then having a physical one. Is this supposed to be the new version? Like, well, 
there's been the black card. So they were like, but what you really need is the white card. <laughs> the real power. Yes. Does it come with privilege? <laughs> I I just also feel like this is distracting them. Like, I want, why don't I have an iPhone that's as thick as a sheet of paper? That's the shit you guys need to be working on. Make me some AirPods that never die. I, These are the real, this is what the people want. Okay. When your AirPods die, it is truly the saddest and that thing noise, in the world. Woo -woo. Yes. I hate that. <laughs> and um, aside from a phone that is paper thin, I would actually like a phone that you can drop and it won't break. Yeah, work so, on that, guys. Because so many people <laughs> I see carrying around their phones without cases boldly. <laughs> um, and But I'm always like, they look so good outside of a chunky case. Can't right. you make a phone with a built-in case? where it's already safe if you drop it. Listen, Apple, we are giving you lots of ideas. Um, I also, when I bought my new computer, it was very difficult. I had a very difficult time moving all my shit over. Can we make that faster? Um, while we're at it, the, the wait times at the Genius Bar at the Grove are bonkers. I needed to go to the Genius Bar. They told me we have an opening in a week. <laughs> a week? I said, excuse me, I don't have a week. And they were like, oh, you could try Pasadena. I was like, everyone has lost their minds. That's what we need to work on. Let's shorten these Genius Bar wait times before we're out here making 18 television shows, okay? Oh, I also forgot. Jason Momoa and Alfred Woodard have a show. There's some ethnic That people. I would watch the shit out of. Yes. It's a post-apocalyptic series called C. I guess it involves blind people. It's, oh, it's, C, like S-E-E. -E. Yeah, like Bird Box. Okay. Whatever. I don't know. I'd watch Alfred be blind. I'd watch her chain her son up in a basement while she was playing the piano on Desperate Housewives. So <laughs> I feel like Apple, we've given you a lot of ideas. And I hope the next time we do one of these, what do they call these things? These presentations. Yeah, the these, Apple events. Yeah. I want some stuff that I can give you my money for. Yeah. Okay. At the end of it. And I don't, that's all I want. Please let us know when your shows are coming out because I kind of want to watch them. Yeah. A, a launch date for literally anything would be nice. <laughs> After the break, Lewis and I sit down with Billy Eichner because I have some pressing questions about The Lion King and Beyonce. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand... That was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams robe. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no? Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. <laughs> Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. 
I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dream soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. Black Stories, Black Truths is a celebration of blackness from NPR and how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. <laughs> Each of NPR's black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be black today, told from a unique black perspective, from Bobby Shmurda to The Wire, Michelle Obama to Reparations. There's no limit to the range of black stories, black truths. Black perspectives have always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the black experience. Hear a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced and black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us without us. Doesn't the black experience sound like a three-disc Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. We are here with Billy Eichner. Hello. Hi. Hey, guys. My friend and former employer. It's really shocking. Yeah, I know. Lewis uh, rode on Billy on the street. Yeah. Which uh, is such a pleasurable experience. You would get uh, into the room and you would your assignment would be, come up with 25 lines for whatever Zac Efron to say in front of the Flatiron building. Right, exactly. It's, <laughs> it's a very such a strange, pleasure. <laughs> very strange gig. Uh, but you were great at it. And you continue. I mean, how many seasons of it did you? Twenty five. I mean, it's like it's like Gunsmoke, right? <laughs> it's a bonanza. Yeah, it's the bonanza of true TV. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, we don't do the half hour show anymore. Right. I I put an end to that. But now we're just doing short form web videos. You should join um, Snapchat. Is that yeah? We've talked about things like that. I'm too old for Snapchat. I I don't know. <laughs> I don't think my fans are on snapchat you shouldn't have uh shows on things you don't understand yeah, yeah. you know what i'm I've saying i've never been on I, I tried and then it didn't i couldn't i dated a younger person once really? and so I how snapped. young like 23 oh okay All but right. they use snapchat right you're young though i'm 32 yeah you guys are babies i'm 40 40 years old i remember your 40th yeah, yes I came to my 40th yeah. yeah you're a pretty chiseled 40 though billy i'm gonna say you your glow up is quite uh, radical and extreme. The party I, was fun too. It was a fun yeah. party. It was like a DJ. Fortieth, yeah. Um, some gay recommended him to me, and um, he was a great DJ. And what happened at my fortieth? That was a blur. 
um, I don't know, it was a weird mix of like old college friends and people I work with and Jim Parsons. Right. Also, <laughs> Who I love. <laughs> the, the, the music is notable, though, because I feel like Billy and I intersect extremely when it comes to like, like your preferred era of music is like Lisa Stansfield. Like, oh, that's what gives God, you life, that you. era. Yeah. Yes. But how do you know? I'm a little bit of a time traveler. Yeah. You are. Well, yeah. yes, you're Louis Vertel. Right? Yeah, right. I actually think that Louis just is very old. The, oh, there's that. I mean, yeah, I'm like secretly like Tab Hunter's first lover. Right. Yeah. 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 Mm -hmm. well, we all kind of have that in common. Right. Where we're, we were always 42. Yeah. Right. Like when I was 13, I, I just wanted to be 40. No. And when you were 13, you had like formed opinions about Ellen Burstyn. That was just your life. Oh, major opinions. Yeah. I was already talking about like, I think Requiem for a Dream was overrated. Yes. Right. Right. It has, like, it's coming out in 10 years. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I don't exactly. currently think I have any thoughts about Ellen Burstyn. I'm sure surprised to hear that. Not even Exorcist era. Well, I'm black. Say what? Oh. Uh, and Requiem for a Dream. God, do I have to spell out her career for her? You? <laughs> was, was she in Brown Sugar? <laughs> <laughs> she was in Best Man. Holiday. She was in She was in the Age of Adeline. <laughs> Speaking of, um, we can't talk about the details of your movie, yeah. but you're doing a rom-com. He's writing one. Writing. You're writing one. Co-writing. Co-writing. Nick Stoller. Yeah. You're, you're doing so much yes, in, the rom in the romantic world. Well, on uh, screen, I mean, more than off. Well, you yeah. know, you're, you're dating the Bachelor, Colton. <laughs> he was, he's, that Colton's a funny one. He is really savvy about social media. I was just going to say, I, I'm not a Bachelor super fan or anything. I'm but, not either. But uh, I've watched clips of him, and on the show, he seems kind of like any of the Bachelors. Yeah. And then on Twitter, during his exchanges with you, he seems to know things and have Correct. kind of like a cutesy sauciness. Yes, he is my takeaway from Colton. By the way, I liked him. And I don't know if he's gay. I, everyone's like, he's gay. I honestly I have no idea if he's gay. I can tell you this. He likes to be on television. Right. Which, so do I. Um, he loves the whole Bachelor culture. And he's very savvy about it, about all angles of it. And uh, that he's very media savvy, very social media savvy. And is smarter than people might give him credit for. We Got haven't it. had a savvy virgin since Kevin Jonas. So that's right. Wow. <laughs> I'm like, it's exciting, right? <laughs> a savvy virgin. We get to add a new entry on that wiki. That's nice. Um, but I find it so exciting that you will be involved in a gay rom com because yes. I just feel like we have spent so much time watching them. We have been, ourselves, right? And there's so many that we love, but. We haven't seen ourselves. I know. And them. we've been good paying customers for those rom-coms all these years and return customers. What so. are your favorite rom-coms? Oh, man, I have been so rom-com focused my whole life, but especially in writing this script, co-writing the script, which we've been working on for a year and a half now. Oh, really? Uh, yeah. Didn't realize. Yeah, I know. We were kind of under the radar uh, working on it. But what are some of my... Well, you know, you have your rom-coms which are more respected and mm -hmm. you have your rom-coms which are didn't get great reviews maybe but you love them and you watch them deliver, on tbs all the time yeah deliver us from eva right quite <laughs> yes exactly that's the one i was you can play at that game <laughs> yeah exactly honey is is, <laughs> is that a rom-com i don't know <laughs> think like a man too is considered a rom -com? you know what jennifer lewis does kill it in that yes she, oh, jennifer lewis yeah amazing <laughs> um so what are my some of my favorite rom-coms i mean all the usual ones you know, I grew up loving when Harry met Sally and all the the great Nora Ephron movies. I also love a movie which is not a, as big of a hit called uh, Keeping the Faith. Right. With uh, oh, Jenna Elfman. 
and but, Ben Stiller, and, and and she's like caught between a rabbi and a priest, and in, in, in real life, she's a Scientologist. And that never comes into play. Um, <laughs> that'd be a good sequel. Um, but that's a really well constructed rom com. Edward Norton. Um, Notting Hill holds up surprisingly well. Just saw it recently. Mm-hmm. Yes. I also just there's something about rom coms specifically that I appreciate where you have an actress relying entirely on charm, and then I say to myself, years from now she's going to kill it in an Oscar winning drama. Every I know time. it every yeah. time. You know. I mean, and I just recently got sucked into Pretty Woman again, which is constantly on cable. And you can make fun of it. You can find all the plot holes. You can talk about how unethical parts of it are. But you get sucked into that shit. It is because Julia Roberts is a fucking great actress, I think, and a movie star. No, I mean, I just... And Richard Gere and Laura San Giacomo and uh, Hector Elizondo. And you realize in rom-coms, all movies, but especially rom-coms, how important casting every little ensemble role is. Right, right, right. And also, I felt like in rom-coms, you're way likelier to have supporting characters who have surprising moments of humor, et cetera, you know? Yeah, and and also a dramatic moment you weren't expecting. Yeah, right. Uh, The ensemble in Notting Hill. Those British actors that sit around that table with Hugh Grant, they are so fucking good. I miss when the name Simon Callow was just in the lexicon. Just like (laughs) just a a meanish gay guy who was like fourth build and things. A friend of mine in college uh, dated him. What? Yeah, it was much younger than him at the time and still is. Um, uh, <laughs> is that yeah. on Snapchat? And I had to sit through that Simon Cal was it's not well, just to be clear, it's Simon Callow. Callow, everyone, who's a great older British actor, not Simon Cowell from American Idol. Yeah, he's in Four Bunnies in a Funeral. Right, yeah. exactly. So they dated, um, and I had to sit through he has like a famous production of One Man Christmas Carol. Perfect. Which is a fucking, not a rom-com, a snooze, <laughs> stick to Scrooge if you're interested in that sort of thing. Anyway, uh, rom Or a Diva's Christmas Carol. Oh, is that Vanessa Williams? Yeah. yeah See, um... I know things. Um, <laughs> wait, uh, other rom-coms that are great. There are sort of, you know what I got sucked into again recently on TV, which is like a quasi-rom-com is big. Oh, yeah. Which that's one of his top five performances still. Shit, Tom Hanks is good in that movie. And Elizabeth Perkins. I love her. I know me. too. I almost said, oh, that movie introduced me to garbage. And then I realized (laughs) I was thinking of Big Daddy. (laughs) Don't (laughs) say that again. No, (laughs) which I saw in the theater, though. Um, That's also a Penny Marshall joint. I'm sure that's what dragged you back. Big Daddy? No, Big. Oh, Big. Right, right, right. right. No, Big is so good. I mean, A League of Their Own. Not a rom-com, but... I don't know. There's something about it that feels rom-com-ish. Oh, sure. Yeah. Uh, no, I mean, Lori yeah. Petty is another name that people should still be repeating oh, just I to themselves at night. I saw Lori Petty on a plane once. I nearly passed out. Was she in the... Well, Lori Petty, who she, had a moment on Orange is the New Black somewhat recently. Right. All and, 17 seasons. Yes. And, was uh, she on every season of this? <laughs> no, I, I think no she idea. snuck in later. She came in later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But she had like a, a wacky look the last I saw her. Yes. Um, <laughs> but I when I was, was trying to kill up, Alex, Lori Petty. say what? Oh, on the show, she was trying to kill the girl, Laura Preffin. Oh, she was oh, trying okay. to murder her because she right. thought she was a spy. Got Are they all lesbians on that? Mm, no. uh, the characters? I would no. I don't think I don't so. Know. I have no idea. Okay. Can't well. evolve. I was gonna say, <laughs> I think my number one is still Moonstruck. That's the oh one I watch the most God. often. God, flawless. It's flawless. Also, to me, what's interesting about that movie is it is actually shot kind of like a drama. Like the scenes have the urgency of a drama, but the characters are so kooky. So the comedy is in 
adding their uh, kind of like silly stakes to what feels like a very weighty, almost like Goodfellas or yes. uh, Pritzy's Honor type movie. <laughs> right, yeah, right. yeah. Uh-huh. Right. Moonstruck is, it makes you angry. It's so good. Everybody it's is so perfect. Tight. It's like 70 minutes. Right. And, you know, I went back and, and I was thinking, God, when Harry met Sally, they cover so much territory. It happens over 10 years. That movie must be two and a half hours. Running time. 83 minutes. Yeah. You're like, fuck you, Rob Reiner, for keeping it so tight. Right, that's, yeah. That's really hard to do. I don't know if people realize how hard it is to cut movies and keep it tight, like, and still tell the story. It's hard. Well, especially in the era of, I mean, not not to diss uh, your good friend Judd Apatow, but it's just like something happened where we just decided more is better, you know? Yeah. And like, we, I think we're now winnowing back down to 90 minutes. I yeah. do not need to be in a theater longer than that. No. Yeah, me neither. We don't have that attention to Unless it's anymore. the actual theater. Which, that I agree. Which I love. Give me a six-hour play. I will see stopper. Totally. Right. I actually agree with that. I'll be in a, whatever, The Inheritance. I'll watch that nonsense all day. Right. You yeah. know. Angels in America. Yeah. Could be there for weeks. Mm -hmm. The whole Oristaya starring whatever, <laughs> Vanessa Redgrave. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, Billy, I have a very important question. Okay. None of the Lion King commercials have had Beyonce in them. And Interesting. I'm she's not actually in the movie. She's definitely in the movie. <laughs> Because I've seen a rough cut, and I've heard her sing Can You Feel the Love Tonight Woof. with Donald Glover, and I'm telling you, it's fucking good. Wow, that's really exciting. And that was never my favorite song, um, if I'm being totally honest. Right, because they don't sing it in the movie. Right, it's, it's right just, it's exactly. Just right. I liked when Elton John sang it. I love Elton John. Um, I don't want. I I don't want to give too much away about that. They're very. They do not want us talking about it. But I I will just say honestly, it it made me cry. That's and I so was not awesome. expecting that. Well, also, I mean, I ever since the casting was announced that you would be playing Timon, uh, which is Nathan Lane's role, famously, uh, I've just thought there is no way Billy isn't a Nathan Lane super fan. There's Are you kidding. I'm gonna say that that's like got to be exactly your brand. Yeah, I mean, it it's so surreal to me because I knew Nathan Lane. I grew up in New York City, big Broadway fan. My parents love Broadway. I saw this landmark revival of Guys and Dolls with Nathan Lane. So that's my favorite musical. With, and that yeah. soundtrack I'm listening to constantly. Of course. That is a perfect revival. Nathan Lane, Faith Prince, Walter Bobby. I saw, it was the first time I saw Nathan Lane live. This is way before Lion King, before Birdcage. He was just a New York theater actor. He didn't even win the Tony for that. He lost to Gregory Hines, R.I.P., Jelly Flash Jam. Also wonderful. Sure. But Nathan blew my mind. I, I've seen him live on stage so many times. And then, of course, Birdcage and, and everything else. But he's a genius. Right. He really is. And he is who I wanted to be when I was growing up. I didn't think about movies. I thought about theater. I just wanted to do musicals. I went to Northwestern. I was a musical theater major. And if you asked me, who do you want to be? I would say, I don't know, Nathan Lane. Um, and, and so... I don't think it, I knew that about yeah. you. I went to Loyola oh, you for did? theater. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, I'm a musical theater kid. That's what I like. And so to be doing Nathan's role is, I mean, it, it's... It's honestly it's, now his most iconic role, you know? In a way, yeah, yeah, to a certain generation, yeah. And so it's shocking. It's bizarre. It's terrifying. Uh, you can't really do it better than he did it. You can just do it your way. Right. You know? Um, and I, I will say one thing that helps with that 
is that my energy with Seth Rogen is very different just naturally than what Nathan Lane and Ernie Sabella's energy was. Mm -hmm. They were both coming out of that production of Guys and Dolls when they did The Lion King. Ernie Sabella was in that production. Uh, And they had this very vaudevillian, Broadway, musical theater, borscht belt style, which here and there, Seth and I borrow from, but... We don't lean into that yeah. as much. And also the the style of animation that this movie is, it's so much more, for lack of a better word, realistic, that that tone wouldn't really match the animation almost, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And so that helped inform what we do, too, and helped me create something that was distinct, I hope, from what Nathan did, while also nodding to a little bit of what he did, which people love. Sure, yeah. A down-to-earth Timon and Pumbaa. Yeah, <laughs> relatable, yes. Yes, yes exactly. <laughs> the most grounded Timon you've ever seen. <laughs> Matata, the most grounded Hakuna Matata. Um, yeah. Last question. Broadway Calls wants you to be in a show. Yeah. What show do you want it to be? Mm, Great What's question. your dream theater You know, role? I've thought about that. But they've done a lot of them recently. And so I don't know. My favorite musical is this musical not everyone knows called Falsettos, mm. which is this William Falsettos Finn is musical. beautiful. It's, I saw the one uh, with Andrew, Andrew Reynolds. Reynolds. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. which I saw too. I love Andrew. I saw the original on Broadway. Uh, I saw Mandy Patinkin did it on Broadway. He did not originate the role, but he took over strangely enough. I think probably because just because he liked the show. So he he did Falsettos on Broadway at one point, which I saw when I was in junior high school, obsessed with that show. But they just did it. And it's not a hugely popular show. They're not doing it again for many years. Um, I would maybe this is maybe interesting, but I've thought about Hedwig. Oh, I love that for you. Okay. Yeah. Which they also just did, though, um, fairly recently. Um, I, I don't know. Let's see. What else do I like? I mean, I like Sondheim stuff. You know, I don't know if they would put me in that, but I just saw Company in London. Mm-hmm. That um, show was everything. Yeah, I mean, and I love Getting Married Today. It's my favorite that, version of that Getting Married Today ever. was genius. The the you could drive a person crazy with three men doing it was genius. Patty Lapone was amazing. Um, you could play Pirelli in Sweeney Todd. Okay, you could play Sweeney. I, I have something controversial to tell you. Don't like you. Sweeney oh, here Todd. it is. I. I love certain songs in Sweeney Todd, but I am not. Lewis, hand me my razor. I'm not. (laughs) Right, exactly. I am not a Sweeney Todd person. Don't at me. Wow. Okay, I don't need Sweeney Todd Twitter coming after me. I've got to tell you, that's an at ready crowd. (laughs) Yeah, it actually is. I've got news for you. They're crazier Um, than Michael Jackson Twitter. Right, well, we'll see. Um, Also, I have a question for Billy. Every time you're on like American Horror Story or in some crazy ensemble of actors, you have a movie coming out with Anna Kendrick eventually. Oh, wow. You know about that. Oh, yes. You're good. Yes, yeah. but like Pitch Perfect twenty nine. Yeah, exactly. that's right. Yes, uh, you are such an actress centric person, like I am. And yes. I was wondering, do you have a favorite story of like a legend you've gotten to hang out with due to Ryan Murphy's Zvangali powers? Um, let's see. I did get to. Okay, this is. Oh, I don't know if I can. I know which one I'm jealous story. of. Which one? Well, Joan Collins. Oh, of course. Joan and I got to socialize a bit, but we ended up not having any scenes together. But we did all do a cast dinner. And it was, I was sitting right next to Joan Collins and her husband, this right before we started shooting Apocalypse, the most recent American Horror Story, and Sarah Paulson's there, and Kathy Bates is there, and they got into this whole political discussion I won't get into, but Kathy Bates and Joan Collins 
just shouting across a table at each other, <laughs> not shouting angry, shouting to be heard. It yeah. was loud in the restaurant. Uh, and not, and then you throw in Leslie Grossman and Billy Lord. And I mean, that's a night. Yeah, right. That's a night on the town. Um, that's really fun. Uh, the whole cast of Horror Story Cult, uh, Chaz Bono, who was in the show that season, took us to see his mom in Vegas. Oh, he does have a famous mom. Yes. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, so we all went to see Cher in Vegas, the whole cast. And then we took Sarah Paul. I mean, we were all there, but I don't know how much clubbing Sarah Paulson still does. But we were like, <laughs> Holland Taylor is still on the town. Holland Taylor. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I love Holland Taylor. She was just here. She was. Yeah. I talked to her about um, The Edge of Night, the soap opera that she was oh, on in 65. She's really which amazing. I watched all the scenes she had. No on one YouTube. is surprised you got to see all right. that. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So we took Sarah Paulson out clubbing at the, like the trashiest Vegas club. That's one of those like it's a beach club somehow, but it's indoors. And there's like like a you know a diplo style DJ, but worse playing. And we were like doing Sarah Paulson is in a a long black dress. So it was like the, it's like going out with the Adams family. Wow. Yes. <laughs> you know, because like, I don't know. And I'm like a beret and we're doing tequila shots at like the trashiest Vegas club. It was like Jersey Shore meets, I, I don't know, like the Obie Awards. Like, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, that was really, really fun. Um, I had a scene with Kathy Bates on the show, which was very intimidating. She's an intimidating. I agree. Brilliant. I interviewed her once and I found her very command. I, she said something about how she used to be uh, a Martha Graham, work with Martha Graham. And I said, and she, and she looks at me and she goes, you don't know who that is, do you? I was like, I'll name every choreographer you've ever worked oh, yeah. with right off the top right. of my head. She goes, she goes, okay. I was like, yeah, she would like you. Yeah, but she's she's tough. You need to know your stuff. Um, She at one point, I wasn't going to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it. It's fine. I was not angry. I love her. She, it, you know, last season I wore a lot of prosthetic makeup on the show. And when I was playing a, one particular role, I played multiple roles. And then she walked in. I'm wearing this crazy wig they made me wear. I hated it. And then Kathy walks in and she had never seen me in the wig. And then she said, love that wig. And we're joking about the wig. And then she said, and are you wearing a prosthetic nose? <laughs> wow. And I said, no. <laughs> no. This is it. This is my nose. And then she felt really bad. And she was like, oh, she was like, that's so funny. And I said, yeah, she was like, I think it's the wig. It makes her nose stick out more. <laughs> I was like, Kathy, you can literally say anything and I don't care because you were Dolores Claiborne. I was going to say Dolores Claiborne comes I first. Mean, primary yeah. colors. Yeah, we right. We go on and on. She but was it was also hairy. That's right. right. I watched every episode wow. of Harry's Law. Harry's Law is a thing we don't talk about. That's like the last show where it was written for a man and then they cast a woman, right? Uh, I don't know. Was it? That was. That's the truth. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. Anyway, she she's fantastic. Mm. Obviously, I think they did that in Carol too. That's and oh I, yeah right. Mm -hmm. I did just work with uh, in that Anna Kendrick Christmas movie Shirley MacLaine. Oh um, well. Which I, I'm, I mean, I'm like stammering. I can't believe I it. I know. It, we can't get into all of it. Maybe off camera we can. Um, <laughs> she told me to use oregano all the time to cure all illnesses. And, I, oh. and, and it's Shirley MacLaine. So I literally went out and bought oregano drops. Um, I'll do whatever she tells me to do. Uh, she, but you're, you really you're in the makeup trailer and you're just you're trying to act like it's normal. Yeah. But it's Shirley 
McLean. I'm like, you were in the apartment. Right. You're How in. How are you sitting? Like right Vincent Minnelli has Why directed are you, you. Sitting here. You were on the yeah. set of Can Can, and Nikita Khrushchev walked in. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> it's you know, crazy. Those are many words. Yeah. Uh, I'm anyway. still thinking about the oregano. I think that you should get a diffuser and put the. I have a diffuser at home oh. that I put essential oils into with and oregano. And well, now I'm going to get oregano. Shirley, Shirley McLean said it. Shirley McLean was adamant about the oregano, and I'm like, I'm going to do it because I don't know how old Shirley McLean is, but she's a, not a youngster. Obviously, she works constantly. Yeah, constantly. She was great in that movie Bernie too. Yeah. So mm-hmm. good, well, obviously. call me Patty Amore because my house is about to be smelling. Like oregano. <laughs> yeah. Uh, thank you so much for being Thanks here, Billy. Thanks for having me. Love you guys. You're, you're great. You it's are ni- the best, it's, Billy. It's nice yes. to see you in our studio. And not at Akbar. The- yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and usually I'm just screaming at Shirley McLean at him, and he's screaming it back at me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Coming up after the break... Kara Lewis and I chat with Angelina Burnett about the ongoing battle between the Writers Guild and the Association of Talent Agents. On May 10th, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes is coming to IMAX and theaters everywhere. This summer, one movie event will reign. It is our time. I stole my village. I know where they're taking your clan. Bend for your king. Never. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Only in theaters May 10th. Tickets on sale now. Rated PG-13. Some material may be inappropriate for children under 13. Whether you're a morning person or a bedtime procrastinator, everyone deserves a mattress that works for their style. And you'll find the best mattress for you at Ashley. The new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley brings you one-of-a-kind body-conforming technology, making every sleep tailored to be your best. The collection also features cool-to-the-touch covers and motion absorption to help minimize sleep disruptions from partners, pets, or kids. Shop the all-new Temper Adapt Collection at Ashley in-store or online at ashley.com. Ashley, for the love of home. They say plants like music. Yeah, no, like really, they they respond to the vibrations of it, which means that this playlist you're listening to, the plants are too. You know what else plants like? Organic soil from miracle Grow. It's made with all the best stuff like wood fiber and compost. Plus, it's OMRI certified organic, which officially means it's made with superior ingredients. And when you give your plants the stuff that makes them happy, they won't judge you on your iffy playlist. Hear that, plants? So go ahead and give them miracle Grow. Believe it or not, the three of us outside of this podcast are writers. Interest <laughs> with pens. It's a disturbing image. I just like to, you know, scribble in my folio right next to a uh, diptyque candle. Mm-hmm. Um, just thinking about what Hotspur is going to get into today. I actually, I bring a typewriter to coffee shops because I'm a huge asshole. Oh, that's do you really I do write. that? No. I was going to say, no, because that exists <laughs> I, in LA. That's what I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> the white man trying to run a diehard brick ball jumped out. <laughs> um, but if you're not familiar, there is a union for writers called the Writers Guild of America. 
And the guild, which represents writers like us, is currently disputing with the Association of Talent Agents over the business practices of packaging, which fucks over writers and leads to agents in bad faith negotiating with their own clients. Here to help us break down this issue and help explain why this isn't just an issue affecting writers, but a moral issue that we should all care about is my friend prolific writer and WGA board member, Angelina Burnett. Hello, Ira. Hi. Hi. I'm thrilled to be here, even though I've been begging you to bring me on to talk about Beyonce for what feels like years, but I'm here to talk about the writer's That's fine. So instead, we brought you to talk about a union dispute. Uh, um, Side note, Angelina is the person who took me to my first solo Beyonce concert. It's true. Oh, wow. This is Carter World Tour. I took him to his baptism. It was a beautiful night. Yeah. So... Let's break down what the initial, like, what is the main conflict here um, so people get it? For dummies like me, because as a member of the WGA, I barely understand what is Please. happening. No, and by the way, I want to say, uh, when I finally got into understanding this, I truly felt like the dumbest person alive initially. So this is very valuable to me also. Great. Well, it's not only sort of a generally complicated issue, but there is um, value for the agents in making it seem even more complicated than it is. Um, so I'm happy to explain it. Um, fundamentally, this is about conflict of interest. Agents have what's called a fiduciary responsibility to put their clients' financial interests ahead of their own. But the thing is, they don't get paid by us anymore. It used to be that agents got 10% of your salary. That's how it functioned. Over the last 43 years, because of an agreement that we signed in the 70s, um, because the agents scared us, uh, removed our right to sue over this, um, they have shifted their income from a share of the writers to getting paid by the studios. So imagine the person who is responsible for negotiating for you against the studios is getting paid by the studios. They have no incentive to negotiate for you to get more money because they're not getting paid by you. So it's there's two things. There's packaging the verb, which is, hey, you've got a great project and I'm going to get you an actress and a director and we're going to put it together so it's, you know, the studio wants to buy it. Then there's packaging fees, the noun, which means that they take um, a cut of every single episodic budget. So there is a line item in each budget that goes to your agency, takes money off the screen, takes money out of writer's pockets. Then, and this is the part that goes me. They get 10% of the profits of your show off the top. And what off the top means is they get their money first. And then anybody else who gets a share of the profits gets the share of the 90% that's left. Um, aside from the fact that we believe this is fundamentally illegal, that it, they are liable under racketeer, federal racketeering laws for illegal <laughs> kickbacks, um, I find it immoral. They do not do anything that justifies an ownership stake in the work we create. So the reality of these packaging fees, which are like sort of, you know, like awkward and weird and don't make a lot of sense and are sort of like numbers floating around on a piece of paper where writers, all we really care about is telling great stories. What this has done is it has made them so profitable that they have attracted private equity money. Billions of dollars of private equity money have flown it, uh, flown into these. Is that a word? Sure. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I love picturing money flying. Vivid. Yeah. Flown into these agencies. Like Scrooge McDuck. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like, yes, they're diving into the pool of gold coins and swimming around. Um, so these private equity firms now own 
majority stakes in these agencies. They don't care about writers' salaries. They care about their bottom line. So what has started to happen is these agencies are expanding into production. So they're now becoming studios. They're now becoming our bosses. When your agent is your boss, you don't have an agent. Now, I am one of these lucky people who was born into this business. I'll just acknowledge my privilege right here. Um, and one of the benefits of this is I've grown up in and around the system, and I hear things. It has been the goal of these agencies for two decades now to find ways to corral as much talent as possible into their agency so that they can own the business. It used to be there were a ton of little mid-level agencies rep represented lots of different kinds of writers. Now we've got an oligopoly of four. Very soon, if we do nothing, it will be an oligopoly of two. And we will be working for our agents. Oh, it is vertical integration. It is terrifying. It will gut the middle class of our business. It cannot be allowed to stand. Right. So that brings me to two points. One, a lot of people talk about this in terms of, oh, the writers are going to have to strike again. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be like 2007 when my show that I love only had 10 episodes. <laughs> but when agents work for us, we're not firing any we're, I mean we're not striking no we're firing nobody someone. you go to work the next day right everybody keeps going to work um, and here's the, this is this is the thing man writers have this weird insecure self-loathing thing that we do do that wait right you're talking about writers <laughs> television pe oh okay got it i mean i'm not one of them i no, think i'm, I'm awesome kara <laughs> thinks she's awesome I, think I, mean, I feel like the people at this table don't have this problem but it is a problem within the membership at large that we are just so happy to be here correct we are yeah. just so happy to get to do this job and we think of these agents as as our way in, that our whole sense of our own power gets turned upside down. We are the wellspring of wealth in this business. Everything starts with us. This business that currently, this recession-proof business that made $53 billion last year, that doesn't count Netflix. That doesn't count Amazon. Mm. That doesn't count Apple, which, as we just learned yesterday, is moving into this space. $53 billion. In a world in which these studios are making a collective $53 billion, writers' salaries have gone down 23% in the last two years. That is unfucking acceptable. We create that wealth. And I realize a lot of people look at like Shonda and Ryan Murphy and J.J. Abrams. They're rich. What do they need? They are the exception, Correct. not yes. the rule. Right. People outside of the industry um, sort of think of all television writers and screenwriters as they're all rich. They all like have mansions. Uh, <laughs> but this is really not the reality. Like it's really just a sort of working class in Los Angeles. It's middle yeah. class, yeah. And middle class. And I live in a postage stamp. <laughs> behind, <laughs> on a Shonda Rhyme show, there's 12 people that's right. that are also writing with her. So that's it's right. not, I think that's the other thing, like the concept of a writer's room. If you don't know, you don't know. And so behind every show, there's going to be, and it's going to be a range of people. Like you're going to have people that are executive producers, which is the highest you know title you can have. And, and they're making a certain amount of money, but it goes down to someone who's a staff writer to writer's assistants and, and all of this. There's a bunch of other people involved. Yeah, that's and right. it goes to hiring other people, too, because when an agency is taking money from the budget of the show, that's one less writer you can hire. Mm -hmm. um, that's a writer who's like, 
a staff writer or like a story editor, like getting less than they should be able to get for working on a show. And um, as you said, you know, like salaries aren't going up. They're going down, going down. demonstrably going down. Yeah. And what's getting, ha- I mean, the way this works is the Guild is the exclusive bargaining agent for writers. And because of the weird nature of our business, where um, what we call overscale comp- compensation is dependent on your credits and your talent and who you know, all these different factors that go into determining your value, a union can't determine that across the board. So the union focuses on getting your minimums. Every year, every three years, we negotiate to lift the floor um, and health and pension. I will say the Writers Guild Health Insurance is arguably the best health insurance in the country. Mm -hmm. It is unbelievable. We don't pay a penny for it. And that's because writers back in the 80s struck for it. Um, Or maybe it was the 60s. My history is a little weak. Joan Didion famously obsessed with WGA uh, health insurance as part of her documentary. It's a weird thing about her. That's amazing. God, I love her. Just hanging out in the desert and uh, <laughs> writing a work, 15 work, paragraph essay about her migraine yes. yeah, so, and working on um the, the, your the, magical the, thinking the pre the pre gaga one barbara streisand oh, oh stars i forgot that she wrote part of that yes right i think they left early because it was a big mess if you've ever seen that movie anyway yes. <laughs> so all of this to say it used to be that the writers guild uh handled minimums and we designated overscale bargaining to the agencies so we never had to go into a contract negotiation and these contract negotiations are the, the strike you mentioned we had to strike mm-hmm. for the internet mm-hmm. by the way if we hadn't struck in 2007 this notion this story that gets passed down that the strike in 2007 was a failure let's be really clear mm-hmm. the strike in 2007 was an attempt by the studios to break the union and to ensure that we did not get jurisdiction for our contract over the internet. Um, That was before Netflix. That was before Amazon. That was before Hulu. Hulu launched a month after we came back to work in that Mm. strike. 30% 30% of our business is now streaming. None of that would contribute to health and pension. None of that would be subject to minimums. All of the protections we get as a union um, are extended to the internet and streaming because of that strike. So don't let anyone tell you that strike wasn't a victory. It was a victory. Um, that, to, that to say, until two cycles ago, we did not have to negotiate for overscale. We only focused on minimums. So two cycles ago, we, we negotiated for something called options and exclusivity. It's boring. I'm not going to explain it. Um, last negotiation, we had to take a strike authorization vote because what's happening is because now there's short orders, right? It used to be you did 22 episodes a season. So whatever you negotiated was basically your yearly salary. Now, because most things are 13 episodes a season or eight or eight (laughs) and what they've been doing in order to pay writers less is forcing you to work for a whole year on fewer episodes. So it means that we get paid by episode. So it means that our episodic fee is stretched over so many weeks that Experienced writers are working for scale. I know that's a little complicated. I hope it made sense. Um, so that's the agency's job. They're supposed to be fighting to ensure that overscale income is protected. They didn't do that. So this last cycle, when we had to take a strike authorization vote and threaten to walk out, it was for overscale. So what has happened is the agencies have shifted the risk of protecting ourselves from them to us. So what this means is we're going to have to take more strike votes. If we don't solve this with the agencies, if we don't force them to protect our overscale income, we have to protect it through collective action. And as a member of leadership, I'm not going to ask the membership to walk if I don't trust that the agencies are going to protect the contract we fight for. Something about this that's been, um, I think that's made it all sort of dramatic is like, you know, you've had a lot of extreme rhetoric 
coming from all over the place. And, you know, and I know, like, I'm in a position where I really like my agents mm-hmm. and I have not, you know, there are a lot, there are many people who have been screwed over. I have never felt like that. And, and I, um, I like my representation, you know, but it's something where I'm part of a union. And so if I'm not getting screwed over, but if someone else is getting screwed over, that's part of being in a union and you, you know, it's like, we're in this together kind of a thing. And so, you know, I think there have been a lot of writers that are like, I like my represent mm-hmm. my representatives. And I think, um, you know, it's like, we've all been having, there've been lots of conversations and people have been having them, but you know, it's, it was sort of fundamentally, I was like, oh yeah, like I am in a union and like, yeah. it's kind of an all or nothing sort of situation. Mm-hmm. I think it's worth talking about, by the way, why does a writer need an agent? Mm. Say why this, I'm just, in general, what do you think an agent does for a writer? What do, what, do, what are they supposed to do? And then what actually happens? Okay, well, this is, it's very individualistic. Agents provide three things, in theory. Access, advocacy, and negotiation. Mm-hmm. Um, they, I'm Lewis stuck over here with just my jokes that end in Kate Blanchett. I want to make the money off them somehow. These people provide me that. Okay. That's right. Yeah. They get you indoors, um, they advocate for you, and then they make sure you get the best deal possible, in theory. Um, That has been happening less and less. Because they make their money from packaging fees, what's valuable to them is playing at the top levels and moving their chess pieces around to get the right package together so that they can extract the most amount of money from the studios. Because often, if if there's clients from different agencies on a single project... That deal won't close. You'll sell a show and you'll be sitting around for months like, why the fuck hasn't my deal closed? And you'll realize it's because WME and UTA are fighting over the package fee. Mm -hmm. It's insane. They are scrabbling over back end points. That's where their focus is. And any anybody, any agent who's going to be honest with you is going to admit that this is true. They know it. Right. They didn't invent the system. Like your agent is not like I was part of the system that made this whole behemoth. Yeah. Yeah. And to Kara's point, I mean, this is hard. I like my agents, too. Mm -hmm. I really do. And a lot of people do. And I've talked Mm -hmm. to a lot of writers. Um, who are really upset about our rhetoric because they feel it puts them in a complicated personal position. And I understand that. But this is the reality of taking on a corrupt system. And it doesn't matter how good a person is when they exist, when their job is to pull the levers of a corrupt system, they are they are corrupted by it. Your great agent will be a better agent when they're working in a system where their incentives are aligned with ours. Right. It's sort of how... We've just had like the past two years politically of just seeing corruption in front of us. And you're used to, oh, corruption is taking away people's rights. You know, it's Donald Trump. It's Sarah. Like monsters. Yeah, it's Sarah Sanders and her um, Kmart pearls. Um, (laughs) But there's also the corruption that is innocuous. You know, it is people who are very nice to us and we have good relationships with them, but their bosses and the company that they work for doesn't have our best interests. So it doesn't really matter, like, how close we are with our agent. That's right. And I try to not draw the line too starkly between the micro of this challenge and the macro of what we're facing, frankly, globally, mm-hmm. um, because the reality is I'm an elected leader of a democratic institution, and my job is to serve the members. And I've had hundreds and hundreds of conversations over the last two months, and people are understandably filled with anxiety about what the world looks like on the other side of this. And so I don't want to go full Norma Ray. And, <laughs> and, and, That's all I want to go. I know. It, the, the, the urge, like the intensity of the urge to do that. Is, you have sort of a, a denim Norma Ray moment. <laughs> I do. I do have a denim yeah. moment. Um, but the reality is this is a microcosm of larger forces. Mm-hmm. These pri- This private equity month, these guys, they're, they're sole, and I say guys 
intentionally. <laughs> these are vastly, the vast majority of these people are men. Um, men and, are bad? Mm, they're not bad. I got a lot of men in my life who I love. Two of them are sitting here. But, you know, come on. Um, they know, though. They, they know. They still know men they are know. terrible. They do know. The worst. Um, but this this um, sort of avaricious capitalism where it doesn't, it's not about, capitalism is supposed to be about churning money back into the system, right? Mm-hmm. To open new businesses and hire new people. It's supposed to be about moving capital. What capitalism has become is about uh, hoarding capital. Mm-hmm. So it's all about creating these eddies, right? Where money just flows into one little pool and no longer supports the system as a whole. That is a global problem and it is exactly what's going on here. And I will tell you, as someone who worked on the Obama campaign in 2008, I was on staff, I was trained as an organizer through that program. Um, I've balanced a career between political organizing and writing. And the feeling of being a member of a democratic union, and by the way, not all unions as they exist today are fully democratic. Um, But when you feel people come together collectively and work out their differences and argue and dissent and come to common ground and suddenly wake up to their own power and step into a fight like this. I mean, when we started having these conversations, people said, this is impossible. Mm -hmm. You can't possibly do this. They will never give up this money. But the reality is we have the legal right to determine the rules by which this game is played. Undeniably, we have this legal right. All that it takes is collective will for all of us to say, these are the rules we choose. You agents choose to play by them or we walk away from you. Yeah. And that's what we're voting on this week. I mean, tell me if I'm wrong. For, for me, it all just very fundamentally, like uh, with all, there's lots of other issues in this and packaging and things like that. But I was just like, fundamentally, someone who, the idea of anyone making more money off of my work than me and a studio, right? Like I don't have millions of dollars to produce a television show. That's right. So they have to give me that money for that. I don't own a television network, so they have to air it somehow. But after that, I'm like, no one else should be making more money off of the world that I've created than me. And so once like, that's what I, that's for me, what I've tried to sort of, and when I, when I talk to my representatives too, I'm like, listen, you know, there, there there's all this other stuff that I know is, valid and needs to get worked out. But it's just like, if you, if if you're not putting this on air, giving me $20 million to make a season of television, I'm like, I should be making the most money off of this. Yeah. I made this. I'm the, you're the genesis of all of this. Why do they deserve profit participation? It's crazy. It is completely fucking insane to me that people whose job it is to get you in a door and negotiate your contract. Set some meetings, et cetera. Set some meetings deserve a cut of my profits. It's fucking insane. And by the way, they know it's insane. A guy, a member stood up at one of our first member meetings, former lawyer, former WME packaging lawyer. He stood up at the mic. Were you at this meeting? I was. You were. He stood up. He said, okay, so my first week at WME in the packaging department, I sat down with my boss and she explained to me how packaging packaging fees work. And she got to the end and I said, wait a second, isn't this an illegal conflict of interest? And her response was, it is, but the guild hasn't figured that out yet. They know. Yikes. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. We're about to to vote, guys. (laughs) Uh, So the guild is voting this week. Voting started today. It starts Uh, tonight at 9 p.m. Yes. Goes through Sunday at noon. Okay. We've got a membership meeting tonight at the Sheraton Universal at 7.30, and then another one Saturday at 10.30 in the morning at the WGA Theater in Beverly Hills. Um, And one other thing we didn't touch on, which I just want to briefly get into because it's something I I care deeply about. Um, There's a lot of concern, understandably so, that going through a 
staffing season without agents and staffing season's about to be upon mm-hmm. us, um, will revert everyone to the old boys network. And what little progress we have made um, on access and inclusivity for black folks, for gay folks, for Latinx folks, folks with disabilities, all of this like m- minuscule progress that we've made will be lost because there will no longer be agents fighting to get these people in the door. Well, the truth is those agents are part of the problem. And we know that these gatekeepers have been part of the problem. So the Guild has developed a system um, to create some support around these more vulnerable folks. I think there is a possibility, if we do the work, that this can be one of the best staffing seasons for these diverse populations. Um, and to that end, some friends of Ira and Kara's are organizing um, a staffing season mixer for lower level writers to connect with showrunners. Um, Amy Aniobi from Insecure. A queen. She's amazing. True queen. Um, and, and, and Ketchy Carroll, who runs All American, who is also an incredible person. Mm-hmm. Um, Joe Henderson, who runs Lucifer. This is Friday night at 7.30. If you want to come and connect with these showrunners and other guild members to ask questions, you can. Um, and you just have to email A-J-A-A-S-S-T at Gmail. That's A-J-A assist, A-J-A-A-S-S-T at Gmail. Um, And you can get all the information for that staffing season mixer. You can get on the list because there's going to be more staffing season mixers. We're going to be doing lots of organizing to make sure people can keep connecting with people who can hire them. I need to ask the Lucifer showrunner what it's like to have fans that I'm afraid of. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm so happy you were able to come here, Angelina. I know that you are... Thanks, I hope I clarified and not further confused. You are busy. You are literally (laughs) in the middle of making a movie. Busy tonight. Uh, She's busy this afternoon. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Which I know Lewis will be excited about because you are writing... Patsy and Loretta. Oh my God, yes. yes. Oh, that's uh, so exciting. Lifetime movie about Patsy Klein, Loretta Lynn, and it is starring Jesse Miller and Megan, and Megan Hilty. Hilty. Two of my favorites. They are dreams. Have you ever seen Sweet Dreams, by the way? It holds up, I think. Oh, well, we can argue about that. Oh, online. really? Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, the family doesn't think it holds up. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. It is Keep It. Kara, what are you keeping it to? I My keep it is to um, PhD graduate Dr. Dre, who... Um, <laughs> I know what this is about. This, who did he beat this week? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Allegedly. Um, this weekend, he tweeted uh, that his daughter got into USC with a snarky caption about how they had avoided jail time in order for her to, and she still got into USC. <laughs> Sir, you and Jimmy Ivine <laughs> donated a smooth $70 million. <laughs> you created a whole new school, not even just a building, a new fucking school at USC. And you have the goddamn nerve to come out here and act like, oh, she, oh, like, oh, we just, we didn't have to cheat. Like, listen, no, you didn't cheat, but give me a fucking break. And listen, his daughter, I don't know her. She could be very smart. She could be very qualified on her own, but that's exactly the type of dumb shit that. I am talking about with like she got into USC because she's smart. And also because, again, you donated 70 million dollars to USC. Her references on her application had to be the buildings with her name in it. You know, (laughs) you know, the one that says Dr. Dre on it. I am truly Dr. Her name is truly, which. okay, Um, but yeah, it just. But so her name is truly. It's like something like that. Yeah. Mm. But he ended up um, he had to take it down because everyone was like, 
They could shut the fuck up. You donate seventy million dollars. Exactly. Also, I could imagine him sending her to being like, she got into like Harvard or Yale or something. Like maybe an admissions place where some white people, some old white people, weren't paying attention to her last name. But there is no way at USC. Dr. Dre's daughter showed up and people did not know who the fuck and, she was. And the other thing about it, she was like, he did it the old fashioned way. He did it like the white people way where he just gave them a bunch of money, yeah. which is honestly a flex. Like for a black person to be able to donate that much money and get his kid into a school the way that like all these rich white people are doing for decades. I'm like, that's actually impressive in its own way. Yeah. So just live in that, Dr. Dre. There it's are fine. Very few black people who can do that. Exactly. I mean, Drake's going to be able to get his secret children into schools. <laughs> I think there's more than one. You know, there's more than one. More than Adonis. <laughs> <laughs> he is hiding children. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like honestly, it's like Will Smith and and Dr. Dre and yeah. and Beyonce and Jay Z. Like, there's not a lot of black people who can even do that. So, just be glad you're able to do that, Dr. Dre. Jimmy Iovine has got to be one of the turtliest looking people who has ever lived. You ever seen that movie, Master of Disguise? It's like that. <laughs> <laughs> I've seen trailers for Master of Disguise. I never walked into the theater. Oh, get your 3D watch, goggles, sweetie, because watch, it's worth it. To watch that Dana Carvey movie. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Did you see The Love Guru? No, I didn't. Justin Timberlake's in that, right? Yeah, I know. My favorite actor and comedian. I was listening to it. And rapper. Say what? I was listening to Justified this weekend, and I felt dirty. Because it slaps? It's It's so good. And he's so, un- whatever, he hasn't done anything this year. Sorry, Justified has Senorita on it, right? Yeah. Okay, it's a good song. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good song. I'm sorry. I mean, all of his songs were good up until the last album. Yeah. TBH. Anyway, uh, my keep it this week is for Rosie O'Donnell. What did she do? So there's this book about The View and like Someone all the history. Someone wrote a book about The View? Yeah, there's a book about The View. And in it, she talks about her drama with Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Mm -hmm. She goes on this weird-ass tangent where she says that during that period, she had a crush on Elizabeth Hasselbeck. Oh, please don't say that. But she says that it it wasn't really, like, love. It was more she wanted to, like, be her Scottie Pippen. I don't know. She just (laughs) saw herself as being her mentor. And then she realized that Elizabeth Hasselbeck didn't love her the same way that she loved her. But then it gets really gross when she says that um, she doesn't want to guess insinuate anything. But Elizabeth Hasselbeck played softball (laughs) before. So she's never met someone with a woman with like some athletic prowess like that who wasn't at least a little bit gay. Wow. Just fully invoking Wait, the, never, the softball card. She's never met an, a female athlete who isn't gay. Is that what she's saying? I guess they were all fucking on the league of their own set is what she's trying I, to say. Lori Petty. Yeah. You just like organizing just it. Just spice girling it up. I played softball, I think, for one year. Mm. So just throwing that out there. All right. In college, my mom was on a Let's basketball go, team. <laughs> In college, my mom was on a basketball team with my aunt, and then they went to a party and realized at the same time that everybody else on the team was gay except them. Anyway, that's the only introduction my mom had to homosexuality before me. Did, did Rosie O'Donnell have a crush on Elizabeth Hasselback before or after she realized she was a conservative who probably hated gay people? I feel like it was before. 
I hope I hope so. Mind yeah. you, Elizabeth Hasselbeck has always been one of those self-priding people who's like, but I get gay people. Like she's she's always been like uh, like uh, face value supportive of them. What's funny is that she was also fired allegedly in the book because her uh, approval ratings went down and they thought that the show was getting too political, which fast forward to John McCain's daughter every week. I feel like all they do is scream about politics on the show now. Right. And it is. Yeah, it's unfortunate. Like Elizabeth Hasselbeck would actually fit in on the current view. By the way, it just is so weird that she is totally gone. It's just rare that someone who is who has that much or seeming clout would then disappear. But you know what? I'm glad because this is what she did. She was at The View. She made, I'm sure, dumb money. She went to Fox, made a bunch of money and then took her ass home and was like, I'm rich now. And just like, shut the fuck up. Like, that's exactly what I want someone like her to do. Just like, I hope Megyn Kelly, like, it's not going to happen. But like, what I want her to do is to take all of her fucking money and <laughs> leave us alone. Uh, so uh, at least Elizabeth Hasselbeck <laughs> had the decency to leave us the fuck alone and take her money. Also, Elizabeth Hasselbeck has football money from right. her husband. Her family's like, so, they're so rich. Just yeah. leave us, Thank you. Goodbye. Leave us alone. Yeah, white women, get rich and leave us the fuck alone. Leave us alone. And don't vote. (laughs) (laughs) White men, follow suit. (laughs) They should do that too. (laughs) Just go away to an island. Maybe that's the key for the next election. It's not not getting the vote out to other communities. It's just trying to convince white women not to vote. Yeah, all white people, please don't vote. None of you guys vote. None of you vote. Don't you have a John Bajus you'd rather be at that morning? Think about it. We got to schedule like a... Like a big simultaneous like Soul Cycle class, a what's J. Crew up? Sale. A J. Crew sale, and like the biggest J. Crew sale on the planet on election day. A Zumba class, exactly. Um, like a whole day of activities that they love, and it's all happening. It's all free, guys. That'll get it's the all white. Going. That'll get the white women free lift rides uh, there. Yeah. How do we get the men? We'll come up with some things. We'll get like some camo. I don't yeah. know. Some duck hunting. Tell them there's a lynching going on <laughs> down the street. <laughs> and then we and then everyone else will lift and you then, to the lynching. And then we all very quietly go vote in the next election. Forty percent off lifts to the lynching. Yeah. <laughs> you can't pass it up. Wow. Uh, don't, that took a turn. Don't cancel us. <laughs> My keeper this week is to sassy dictionaries on Twitter. I don't need Merriam-Webster's content in my life. This this week, um, I saw that Merriam-Webster, or pardon me, dictionary.com, one or the other, tweeted, uh, uh, you know how there's like cute little uh, pictures you can make on Twitter out of characters? And so they made a sign that said, GIF is pronounced with a soft G. I forget which one a soft G is. Okay. Then the other one replied back, you must be joking, J- joking, G-O-K-I-N-G. Then the other one replied back, I I sent this tweet while I was at the gym, G-Y-M. And so they've been going back and forth. Here's my thing about dictionaries. Can you just be a book? I swear to God, I'm always going to need you. Scrabble exists. I'm going to always look into it when I need like that seven letter word with an X and a Z in it. I'm just saying you're, you're relevant. You're a perfect person, dictionaries. I don't need you. I don't need to read your packet material for Jimmy Fallon. And if you're applying, I don't need to know about it. Okay. Wow. I didn't know dictionary was being the house. This I also week. like how you refer to it as just a book when I'm sure no one has picked up a dictionary truly in about 15 years. But I'm, Except for you. You love your you love your leather bound dictionary. I, I don't have a dictionary, actually. I use the Internet because it's 2019. <laughs> but they're among books. And I'm, I'm a millennial. So. I, actually, I actually am a little bit of a Marie Kondo about books. I don't think I want to own them anymore. But 
a, a dictionary does really? look very August on a shelf. I you enjoy don't it. You own any books? Not really. I just think they take t- take up too much real estate, and it's like pretentious. I would rather just fill my shelves with iconography. Do you know what is better than a book? Having a picture of Jane Fonda pretend- in 1979. This is like, we're going to have to go back to fall again. Having books is not pretentious. <laughs> I just need that to be on the record. It means, it means you read them. <laughs> That's why you don't need them anymore. You could have the Devil Wears Prada on your shelf, girl. But what if you... But listen, I don't. I just have seen it. I can talk to you about it. I reread books. I keep it so that I can reread it. You keep them so you can reference them. Don't Don't throw your books away. Put them in it, but put them under the bed. Ah, uh, that is our show. Cautious Clay will be here at our next Keep It Brief. Listen to it on Friday. This is BVK for Ocean City Tourism, OCMD Streaming Audio. On March 11th, 2024, the title of the spot is STSA Leisure Summer. This is a 30-second composite stereo streaming audio mix. Get away with friends to the laid-back Maryland coast, where you can catch up while casting off and hang 10 while hanging out, where a day on board is never boring. Full throttle is half the fun. Where you can sink a putt, raise a glass, and there's always room for one more round. Ocean City, Maryland. Somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at oceocean.com. Hi, it's Martha Stewart. You know, I spend a lot of time thinking about dirt. At 3 a.m.? At all hours of the day, really. What people don't know is that not all dirt is the same. You need dirt with the right kind of nutrients. New miracle Grow organic raised bed and garden soil is so dense, so full of nutrient-rich, high-quality ingredients. miracle Grow is simply the best. 